welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. Well, having uh, given you an understanding of of the, the domain of the church over the last year, I, uh, I want to finish our time with a few comments from Scripture about something that I would say is agelessly true about the church. True no matter what happens in human events. True no matter what happens in culture or in thinking. True no matter what happens to the context in which the church lives. There are things that are agelessly true about the church. In fact, all of those core values I just read were built out of that. But the text that I shared with you in 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about the fact that the Spirit is always and shall always be at work in His church, no matter what comes, no matter what we go through. And uh, the the Scripture does say in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that As we behold the glory of God through the word of God, we will be transformed into the same image. Whose image? The image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want to talk about the fourth core value, which was that we believe in Spirit-transformed lives. I want to talk about that. not going to do exposition today. And we'll return, by the way, to Colossians, our expository study next Sunday. So this won't be exposition. I'll just be dealing with some texts that develop this idea from Scripture that the Spirit always will transform lives in His church, no matter what His church goes through. Spirit-transformed lives. Now, I think it's important to talk about today because this is a time of unprecedented change in the world. And we need to talk about the changeless one, don't we? He's who we need to lean on. It's always been hard to be a spiritual leader. But it's especially hard in this season of social upheaval. Many Christians are troubled by what they see as the social destruction that's going on around the world, but very much so in our own society. They're troubled by what they see as a darkening of the views of our society. Darkening of views about morality and of meaning. Darkening of views around biblical truth and the church that holds them. Christians are troubled and concerned about the changing laws in our society that may come. And the change in their understanding and the society's understanding of personal liberty. Christians are becoming more troubled and really, in some senses, fearful about diminishing freedoms that may be on the horizon in our whole society, but particularly in regard to Christians and churches. And there is, in the background of all of this, an uncertainty about the economic future of our whole system and society. What we've counted on for generations to support and supply our lives. It's a time of social change and destruction, and it causes many, many believers to ask and even fear 
and to have in their minds the question, what's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to the church in the face of all that might be coming? What if these things drastically affect the church? What will church be like? Well, I can't predict any of that, nor can anyone else, really, with confidence. But I can say something confidently, and that is this, that it will always, the church will always remain a place where the Holy Spirit changes lives. No matter what context she's in, what societal changes she experiences, no matter what her life is like, the church of Jesus Christ will continue. And it will always be a place where the Holy Spirit is still changing lives because the, the, the change in life that happens in the church is not dependent on the mechanics of the church. It's dependent on the master of the church. I know this because of two things. Number one, Jesus promised it. He did say that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell, what a wide open description of anything that could come at his church. And Jesus said it will not be overcome. But also history proves it. Uh, There's a church historian named Hilaire Belloc, French, obviously. I don't agree with everything he ever said or wrote, but he did make a remarkable statement as he studied the the history of the church over the centuries. He said... uh, that the church of Jesus Christ in history has always been a perpetually defeated thing that always outlives its enemies. I thought that's interesting. How many times has the epitaph of the church been written? Oh, she won't survive this experience or that change or this government or that development or whatever. He says the church of Jesus Christ in history has always been a perpetually defeated thing, always on the verge of defeat that always outlives her enemies. I thought that was fascinating. By the way, you know the average length of time for great civilizations. There have been 30-some great civilizations in the recorded history of the world. That's not that many. The average length of time in which they, they survived in any kind of intactness is 166 years. Wow. That tells you that this one is kind of running on borrowed time. How long has the church of Jesus Christ marched and moved? Over 2,000 years. 2,000 years since Jesus declared its existence in his ministry. I tell you what, (laughs) that's a great track record. So Jesus promised that the church will survive and thrive, and history proves it. Now Jesus, when he left left the transforming of his church in the hands of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, he said, I'm not going to leave you without my comfort and presence. I'm going to send another just like me, another comforter to be with you, and he will lead you into all truth, and he will give of mine to you. He will be your source and your sufficiency as my church. And through the Spirit, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. The bride of Christ. And so I want to look at just a few scriptures that talk about how the Spirit does that. How will and does and will always the Spirit transform lives in the church, no matter what the church faces? And as often, I'll do it by answering three questions. What does it mean 
for the Spirit to transform lives in the church? Where do we see this taught in Scripture? And finally, why does that matter to you? So first of all, what does it mean when we talk about the fact that the Spirit is always going to transform people in a biblical church? Well, it means that a biblical church that experiences His presence is a place where the Holy Spirit powerfully and progressively transforms people into greater conformity to Jesus Christ. That's what he's about. A biblical church, a a place where the, the Spirit is transforming lives, is a place where the Holy Spirit powerfully and progressively transforms people into greater conformity to Jesus Christ. Notice, I did not describe experience, I described change. A lot of people, when we talk about the Spirit working in the church today, they think of it in different terms than what I just said. When people say, oh, that's a Spirit-anointed church, or that's a Spirit-filled place, a lot of times they have the idea, for example, that there are a lot of spiritual gifts being practiced there, and some of them may be more demonstrative gifts. I don't want to get into a whole theology of spiritual gifts today, except to say that I and our elders believe that they exist, and uh, and yet they are not the primary focus or point of what happens when the Spirit comes to church. Neither is the working of miracles. There's a growing fascination today with miracles or ongoing revelation, and, and many churches and many people attend churches looking for the next thing that God is about to do or say the next string of miracles that once again prove his presence to a disinterested world. I'm not talking about miracles either. Although I do believe miracles exist, they happen. God does them today. I've seen them, but I don't major on them. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to church, the Bible says that's not the primary manifestation of why he comes either. No, he comes, according to my text, to transform us into the same image of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. This is what comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians says. So that's the what. When I talk about the fact that no matter what the church goes through or faces, the Holy Spirit will always be about doing the same things in the same way in a deep and powerful experience, he will never stop doing this. He'll never stop powerfully and progressively transforming people into greater conformity to Jesus Christ. That's why he comes to church, to exalt Christ in worship, to make much of Christ through the word, and to reflect Christ more in the people who are under the worship and the word. That brings me to the next question. Where does the Bible describe this process? Where does the Bible talk about how I can be changed by the Spirit. Maybe you're a newer Christian, or maybe you're an experienced but disappointed Christian. If you're a newer Christian, all of this teaching about the Holy Spirit may be very new to you. I know it was for me in my younger years. I didn't understand who he was, what he did, why he was here. Saw some pretty amazing dramatic things that in the end didn't give me any edification. So you may not know what we mean when when we say what it means to be controlled by the Spirit or transformed by the Spirit. Or maybe you're an experienced but disappointed Christian. You've known the Lord for years. You've been through a lot of highs and lows. And right now you're kind of in a desert. You're emotionally kind of empty through some experiences or a disappointment or just, you know, I found sometimes the older we get in the Lord, 
the more he allows desert times in our, in our walk. Maybe you figured this out. Why? Because he wants to wean us off the milk of a personal experience and deepen us in the greatness of living by faith. And he knows we're now mature enough to step into that. But you may be, as an older Christian, saying, I, I don't know where I'm at with, with, with God's power working in my life. Well, my friend, it's not by experience, it's through faith. The Bible does describe four dimensions of how a Christian is transformed by the Spirit of God. Don't you know this or not? I'll build them out really quickly for you. Where does the Bible teach this? And what are the, the dimensions of how people are changed? First of all, it starts with the Word of God. It starts with the Word of God. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and by the way, all the texts I'm going to give you all talk about the ministry of the Spirit in the church. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 to 13, talk about the fact that when the Spirit works, it's always through the Word. This is critical. The church today is losing touch with this. They think when the Spirit works, it's always through experience. Uh, that is nine-tenths untrue. No, when the Spirit of God works, the Bible says he always works in concert and through the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul was answering some issues in a young church that was being uh, distracted by experience and, and distracted and divided by gifted personalities who thought they had new words from God, and they were leading that church away from the teaching of the apostles. In the early time of the church, the Bible hadn't been what I call inscripturated yet, put, in, put into its form. And so God taught the church through his chosen apostles. And as they spoke and taught, God gave them teaching and revelation, and that was later inscripturated. Paul said, I came and started your church as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the truth that I gave you is what we could call true truth. It's all you need. And so he went to bat and he defended the teaching that he, he had given them as opposed to this new teaching from these what were called super apostles. Now read what he says, 1 Corinthians 2.11, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we, he's talking, who's the we there? Talking about himself and his apostle, as an apostle and, and, and others that were given that ministry. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, capital S, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Paul was saying the Holy Spirit had spoken through him as an apostle, and he was teaching the church in the power of the Holy Spirit, and his teaching was going to eventually be contained in the Bible. We have it today in 1 Corinthians. Now are people teaching as apostles today? No. The apostolic age was closed when this was closed. But in Paul's time, it was still being composed. And he says, we are ministering under the Spirit. And look at verse 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He's talking here about the fact that the teaching we're giving you is eventually going to be contained in the Scripture itself. The words of the Spirit. And if you're born again, when you read this now completed scripture, 
you're going to receive spiritual truths and you'll understand those spiritual truths, verse 13, because you are spiritual. You have the spirit of God in your heart and mind. You've been given a new nature and a new mind to understand God's truth. There's a lot of doctrines. There's the doctrine of inspiration of scripture. There's the doctrine of the inerrancy of scripture and the authority of scripture in all of this. And there's also the doctrine of illumination in the sense that when you now read the Bible, this Bible is now the word of the Holy Spirit to you. I want you to, if you're a Bible marker, do two things. Circle the word words in verse 13, and then draw a line to the phrase taught by the Spirit. Well, a point I'm trying to make here is that the, the Scripture was inspired by the Spirit. It's now complete And whenever you open your Bible, my friend, the Spirit of God is speaking to you. I never read my Bible unexpectantly. I never read my Bible not expecting to, number one, learn something new, and number two, hear what the Spirit has for me. It's a personal encounter. Why? Because the Bible is taught by the Spirit. Came from Him, and it's how He works. So first of all, what does the Bible say about how you're transformed? Is it by an experience? Is it by a new vision? Is it by whatever you may encounter? No, it starts with the Word of God. I hope you understand that. Second, it continues as you... It starts with the Word of God, which is submitted to by the child of God. Now we go to Ephesians 5. Just hearing the Bible can be ineffectual in one sense. If you're not hearing to become a doer of the word, then then the the connection is incomplete. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled or controlled or under the authority of or filled with the will of the Spirit. There he is again. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. In other words, you come under the teaching of the word. You let it influence your mind and you let it control your will. Being filled with the spirit, the word meant being pushed along and like a filled sail. Now that's not by ecstatic experience. It's by the truth that the spirit shares from the word and your decision to walk in that truth and be under his control by obeying him. It's a very uh, clear commitment to be what the Bible says He wants you to be. So the Bible is not to be taught academically. I don't ever want to be in a ministry that that is basically a lecture hall. It's a real battle to fight when you teach the Bible as deeply as I do. Some people just get involved and they get all thrilled with the details and the new discoveries. Well, that's great to hear, but I want to know what the Spirit of God just spoke to into your heart, your mind, about your life. So it it starts with the Word of God. That's where the Holy Spirit works. That's what He works in when He comes to church, not ecstatic ecstatic things or marvelous things. And and that Word is submitted to by the child of God. It's interesting. We don't have a lot of time here, but in Ephesians 5, He talks about being filled with the Spirit, and that's, that's gone to by so many people. But that involves the Word, verse 19, addressing one another in Psalms. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the Word. Interesting, in Colossians chapter 3, which we'll study next week, verse 16, in Colossians 3 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing another with all 
wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If that sounds familiar, it's because it's exactly what happens when the Spirit comes and controls your life. And many Bible teachers for generations have pointed out what I'm going to tell you right now. And that is to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, according to the scriptural parallel here, means to be under control of the Word. Because that's where he works. That's how he speaks. That's what he wants. And that's how truth imparts and changes that new man, that new woman with that new mind that now wants to please him. That's the nature of Christian growth. It is not by experience. It's starting with the word of God and submitting to that word of God as a child of God. Third, This child of God now grows in the character of God. People often say, what does a spirit-anointed church look like? And they have all kinds of descriptions today of kind of some pretty, you know, I don't know, uh, experiential or remarkable or out there things. I mean, you can find it all over the map. Well, I'll tell you what the Bible tells us a spirit-controlled church looks like. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, the the evidence that he's there, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, that's what everybody would want. And that's what God wants. And that's what the, the presence of the Holy Spirit should look like in a church. That's fantastic. You're growing in the character of God. You're reflecting Jesus because that's what Jesus was and is. He lived a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And he wants to be seen by the world in his church. And Jesus said in in John 16, when I send the other one, he's going to take of mine and disclose it to you. In other words, the, the Lord Jesus is the biggest subject matter on the Holy Spirit's mind. He wants you to see Jesus and he wants others to see Jesus. That's his whole job description. It's not for bells and whistles or signs and wonders or whatever you want to do to fill in the blank. So that's really what it looks like. And if you've been around church long enough, you know that that's a bigger miracle than somebody's leg being lengthened. Because to change a human heart, to alter someone from self-interest to love, to move someone from rage and anger to deep patience, to alter someone from a fearful person to a person that's growing in a deeper river of faith, to deal with someone who's involved in relational fracture and to see them become a peacemaker. Oh, isn't that a miracle? Who could do that? The Holy Spirit through the Word of God. So it starts with the Word of God. That's what he always works through, submitted to by the child of God. You want to open not just your mind, but your heart and your will to what he's saying. And when you do that, you will grow in the character of God. You're going to become more like Jesus. What's a Spirit-filled church look like? It looks like him. What's a place where the Spirit is really working look like? It looks like him. And finally, this all results in... This all goes on, rather, in increasing measure to the glory of God. And that's the text I started with you earlier, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, the church, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. How do we do that? When we look into the word, which is what the Spirit works through, and he will reveal Jesus to us, which is his great passion. 
We are being transformed. Notice the present tense language. It's a lifestyle. It's ongoing. Being transformed in the same image, the image of you, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, from one degree of glory to another. In other words, Christian growth never stops till you see Jesus. You're saying, boy, that's really great because there's somebody in my life that I think it's going to take that whole time. That somebody would probably be you if you knew yourself as well as you should. I know it's me. But you see, this happens in increasing measure to the glory of God. This is the theology of what theologians call sanctification, progressive sanctification. From one degree of glory to another. People define glory of God as when God visits with great prosperity or God brings uh, a physical miracle or he delivers you great uh, and and, and, uh, physical health or whatever it is, whatever they want to call victory. No, Christ-likeness is the goal of the spirit and so that's kind of how it goes so i wanted to take the mystery out of it for you now when you think about it if you've been in a biblical church with an understanding of how all this works you've been in an environment where this has happened for years and if you're walking with god this is your christian life isn't it if you're walking with god your life starts with the word of God as you submit, it, submit to it as a child of God and you grow in the character of God and increasing measure to the glory of God. You say, what's my purpose in life? There you go. Why do I come to church? There you go. What am I looking for in the Christian experience? There you go. It's right there. So that's where the Bible talks about a word of the word of God empowered by the spirit of God creating change in the people of God. Let me close. Last question is why this would matter. Well, it means in a biblical church that you really can't expect to grow in victory privately and impact personally. The Spirit of God is living and He's in His church and He works through truth and you can expect to grow in victory privately and impact personally. I get a ringside seat to seeing it happen all the time. And that will be true no matter what the context of the church is, no matter what threats the church faces, no matter what changes the church experiences, no matter what strains or trials or challenges the church is led through. You see, nothing changes because the changeless one works through the word of God in a humble people of God, creating the character of God to the glory of God. That will never, ever alter. And then lastly, it, it means that in a biblical church, we really can't expect God's spirit to do amazing things. And I do believe that as times become more difficult, we're going to see the church of Jesus Christ, this and others, discover the depths of trusting him more deeply than the mechanics or methods that we've kind of gotten used to. And how can anything that causes us to trust him more deeply be wrong? You know, uh, David Platt, you know, over a decade ago, a young pastor wrote a pretty influential book at the time called Radical. And uh, he talked about what he foresaw as the, the deepening of the church's need to just live by raw faith in the Lord. 
And he confessed something about modern church ministry. He's, this is about 10 years ago, a little over that. He said, this is where I'm most convicted as a pastor. I'm part of a system that's created a whole host of means and methods, plans and strategies for doing church that require little, if any, power from God. I'm frightened by the reality that the church I lead can carry on most of our activities, never realizing that the Holy Spirit of God is virtually absent from the picture. I think that's going to be changing. And God will reveal himself to his church in deeper ways, and his church will understand itself in deeper ways. Now, just like about anything profound that you ever read in spiritual books or whatever, usually somebody's saying it in this generation. It's already been said in a previous generation, right? And uh, somebody said it more succinctly uh, 50 years before David Platt ever wrote it. The name was A.W. Tozer. It's a famous quote. I close with it. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and nobody would know the difference. Yet if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn withdrawn from the church of the book of Acts, 95% of what they were doing would immediately stop and everybody would know the difference. Now we're speaking in ideal terms, aren't we? And the church is always chasing the ideal. We'll never know him enough, be intimate enough with him, see enough of his work in our midst. But as we're called to depend upon him more in coming times, I want to remind you that he is the changeless one. He is agelessly true. And no matter what comes, he'll still be working through the word in people that humbly submit and grow in the character of Christ in increasing measure to the glory of God. We have yet to discover all that he's about to do. Thank you.